Hello and welcome to Fox River, a Prison Break podcast presented by The Ravens, a movie and TV show podcast. I'm Simon and I love Prison Break. And I'm Dom and I'm a first time watcher of Prison Break. And before we get into anything here, we're here to tell you that we recorded the first three episodes of Prison Break Season 1, Episodes 1 to 3, over three years ago. It's just about three years ago now, Dom, actually, a little bit over that we recorded those episodes. And that was quite near the beginning of our podcast journey, so to speak. And we were trying maybe to do too much at that point we were doing one tree hill we were doing we tried we dipped our toe in star trek we were doing movies we were we got a bit overexcited i think with podcasting and we actually decided we're just going to focus on one tree hill which we continued to do and now we're in the midst of season seven of that so we've gone the whole we're going the whole way but There is a new Prison Break podcast that has just come out with the cast with Sarah Wayne Callis and Paul Edelstein uh, called Prison Breaking. So firstly, if you haven't listened to that, it's just started. It's really great. Find that wherever you get podcasts. But listening to that, it just really reignited my passion and excitement uh, for Prison Break. Now, their podcast is very unique because it's from a cast perspective, talking a lot about behind the scenes and how everything was put together and the creation process and their experiences as well as their opinion on the show but hopefully this will be like a nice companion piece to go with that of giving you a fan perspective as well as Dom who has seen bits of the first season but a very long time ago Uh, so we can get some of his prediction element particularly when we get beyond season one but also just hearing that fan perspective But I just wanted to put out here, or we wanted to put out here, that the first three episodes, you know, they were recorded a long time ago, and but we're going to go straight into episode four. Uh, But yeah, if they sound different, that'll be the reason why. But we're committed to doing this. We'll get there all the way through the the five seasons. Dom, how are you feeling about Prison Break? Did I kind of hit the general, you know, history of us and Prison Break so far? Yeah. Absolutely. I think the bail conditions have been broken. We're back in Gen Pop and we're going to talk about it. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good fun. Uh, I, you know, catching up on it and rewatching the, the first few episodes, um, getting ready to start our podcast was exciting. So I'm looking forward to the future and the rest of it. Excellent. So yeah, I hope you, we hope you enjoy these first three episodes and we look forward to catching up with you in real time on episode four of season one and going forward. So we'll see you in Gem Pop. Hello and welcome to Fox River, a Prison Break podcast. I'm Dom and I've seen Prison Break Season 1 once and no more. And I'm Simon and I love Prison Break. And tonight's episode for debate is Season 1, Episode 3, Cell Test. Welcome to Fox River, a Prison Break podcast, where it's always 10.30 at night, it's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cupboard 
move on upstairs and settle in as tonight's episode for debate is Season 1, Episode 3, Cell Test. Simon, my friend, we are back. We are in the yard, the <laughs> virtual yard, wandering around, trying not to get stabbed up by teabag. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? Very good. I'm very well. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. How is everything going? Everything's good. I, I would hate to be stabbed by teabag, especially with his instrument that he acquires in this episode. I do not want to be that guy with my guts in my hand. But yeah, I'm not going to die yet. I've got to wait to get fucking infected. Is it not bad enough? <laughs> i am already got guts out. I've got to wait for an infection. Antibiotics aren't going to clear that up quick enough, are they? Let's be honest. I mean, if guts are out, is it ever possible for them to come back in? Saving Private Ryan is your favourite movie, Dom. I see several people on the beach with guts out, and I don't think, we don't see, but I don't think they managed to get them back in. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> Dr. Tancredi is good, but not that good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So... I'd just like to explain our virtual yard okay? just very quickly. So the, the virtual yard has become our, our new thing when it comes to Fox River and our podcast. So everyone that is joining into the virtual yard and is entering the virtual yard uh, has a prison name. So we know our prison names, Johnny Trojan and... Stray Arm Simon, but also known as Fluffy. Known as Fluffy <laughs> on occasion. Uh, and we have uh, a new member in in the yard that's just joined, uh, that is under the watchful eye of well of us, uh, you know, and and link the sink and fish. So uh, we have to welcome Cool J. Yes, welcome Cool J. Welcome to the yard. The the reason it's Cool J is because uh, it it's a young lady called Lauren, and her both her initials are LL. Uh, so her name is Cool J, <laughs> a great pick. So welcome, Cool J. Welcome. We also have another entrant into the yard, someone else who has to come under the watchful eye of Johnny Trojan and Stray Arm Simon and, and you know, anyone else. <laughs> uh, and, and Cool J, of course, is we, we welcome Ice Pick to the virtual yard. Ice Pick is a, is a new uh, patron, a new listener, a young lady called August who is listening, and she, we're going with the name Icepick. So welcome, Icepick. So Icepick and Cool J, you have just become an inmate. <laughs> I like it. Nice. <laughs> there you go. So we're, we're in the virtual yard. That's it. Get off my bleachers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Can... Right, Simon. Yep. Episode three. Oh, yes. <laughs> How do you feel about, about episode three? Ah, oh, such a great episode. I love it. There, there are certain aspects in this one that I forgot happened so early. Like I sort of pictured them or remember them happening a little bit later. So like Haywire's uh, entry into the into the fold. I always seem to think that that's a little bit later in the season. But it's not. It's here, episode three. There's uh, great development great uh story changes more exposition more explanation and then more questions ultimately as well yeah i really like it and i really like how quickly we're sort of settled with these characters like it feels like we already know 
uh, Lincoln and Michael and Sucre and Abruzzi and Teabag. Like it all feels so familiar so quickly. And I think that is uh, the result of really tight writing. So yeah, what what did you make of it? We're kind of like giving away our judgments already, but what... <laughs> I give away nothing until the end. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, again, you know, really, really, really good episode, really enjoyable. And it feels like Michael's been in for months rather than, you know, what's supposedly a week or so or, you know, a couple of weeks. It just feels like he's he's always been <laughs> in this prison. Um, and we'll dig deeper into that when we, we go for our character journey. So this is the most important question of all. Uh, until I ask you another question, is where would you like to begin? Who would you like to begin with? Do, do you think does it make sense to start with Michael? Maybe every time, like just because um, it might might be hard to start with a peripheral character and then move in. Or what? What do you think? You think it's okay to start? I don't mind. Else? I don't. We we do whatever. We there's always bits like the Veronica story. Get that out of the way, oh, and then you move on with the rest of it. Oh, Veronica. <laughs> I've got so much to say about Veronica in this episode. <laughs> Let's start with her. I have to Let's say, start with her. I had absolutely no recollection of this episode at all. Oh, okay, that's good at all. So it's it's that I I say in the intro that I've seen season one and no more. I've seen season one, but I have very limited memory of it. It's, it's quite quite strange, really, because I tend to hold on to things a little bit better and retain information of of these shows and and keep that locked in my memory, but. Maybe I was just having too much fun at university and it wasn't all going in. <laughs> I think, I bet that your friend as well just wouldn't wait for you. Like, if that, this, the show's so good and so addictive that it's probably like, well, I can't just wait on you all the time, Dom, okay? You've seen the first episode, maybe a bit of the second. Well, I'm going to watch this stretch of three to seven right now. Maybe you'll come in then. But who knew that all these years later, this would work out to your benefit. So you get the last laugh, Johnny. <laughs> absolutely you always get the last <laughs> laugh johnny trojan always last last always shall we start with veronica then what's really quick i've just noticed that i'm in my the room i'm in i've got the curtains closed for whatever reason it's gone quite dark and there's a red light on the microphone and it looks very sinister in the <laughs> in our sort of zoom conversation i hope i'm not scaring you or freaking you out you always scare maybe me. maybe i am this is exactly what Johnny wanted. I'm constantly in fear of you. <laughs> I live on the knife's edge every time I speak just, to you. Just... <laughs> One day we're going to be having this conversation and what you won't realise is that I'm then going to creep into the room somehow. I'll somehow be eight miles down the road where you live and just jab you. Right. <laughs> and then, okay, see you later. <laughs> yeah, I've come to check on the fluff. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how is the collection going did you save it up for a week that's a good you know i i forgot to do that and i i, I right okay starting today i'm actually going to do it from next up until oh next uh next week when we record i'm just trying to think of where to collect the fluff or where it's going to be you know undisturbed and i definitely am not gonna tell my wife about this because she will certainly put a stop to it so that's <laughs> oh definitely need a secret place i mean yeah somewhere in the room you're in yeah i'll find like a matchbox would be perfect um but i worry it'd be too small um but also <laughs> I, I don't i don't have matches i don't i don't smoke and it's not like the 19th century so it's 
<laughs> Don't you like candles? Yes. We have one of those, like, you know, safety lighters. What about the safety <laughs> here? I, I, I will find something to contain the fluff, if it's possible. And then we'll see. And then, uh, you know, maybe I can send it to you and you can put it out on the Instagram. Maybe a Patreon exclusive. Who knows? Yeah. To the fluff gate. <laughs> My a friend of mine who uh, is now a listener, which is fantastic. So, hello Becky, um, who will be listening, um, was disgusted by Fluffgate and all the fluff talk. Said it just went on for for way too long. I don't think it went on for long enough. I, so if, you know, may, yeah. maybe we'll we'll put in like a two hour special just on fluff. If anything, there's more que- yeah. <laughs> there's more questions than ever. But yeah, okay. So we'll see and. Uh, can you give me like a centimeter or like if I was to try and like we said sort of braid it into like a rope shape what how many centimeters would you be impressed with uh anything over 3 centimeters would just be crazy okay. I think okay I, like 3 centimeters and above I'm certain I can do that I might I might <laughs> I, I might keep a video diary like daily to to sort of collate to put together <laughs> okay i look forward to it uh, i'm not sure i'll share it but i look forward to it <laughs> what <laughs> i'm kidding I'm what kidding. are we doing this for no i, I <laughs> just my own sick amusement <laughs> i'm i'm fairly certain this is something that i will reflect on one day uh with regret but anyway <laughs> <laughs> regret nothing right veronica <laughs> let's talk about her now no uh. So where does Veronica start in this episode? The quick, like, okay, you you earned there. So the quicker we get through it, the quicker she's done and she's dealt with, and we can move on, <laughs> right? Yeah, for certain. I don't. <laughs> where does she start in this episode? I like, I remember all of her parts, but I, I can't remember which order. Is it that she starts by seeing Michael, visiting Michael? She does. She does go to visit Michael. So let, let's go with that. Let's start there. So she she's in the prison. She's visiting Michael. They're talking about. You know, whatever she's trying to find out about Lincoln's case. And we find out that Michael, and this is the first kind of reveal that Michael has been doing a lot of his own digging and has already come across the people that um, Veronica is now experiencing. Yeah. Um, In particular, um, Letitia. So Letitia is the hot topic at the moment, isn't she? Yep. And it's kind of gone to ground a little bit. And she's... She goes to find her, doesn't she, in this episode? Yeah. One of After my, she, she speaks to Michael. One of my most frustrating moments with Veronica happens when she goes to find Letitia. But we'll, we'll talk about that bit when we get there, I guess. Wait, talk about it now. Is that, well, do you want to, is there anything in particular that you want to say about what she says to Michael? Or? Well, yeah, during that scene, like her her face, like she's she she's just so somber like the whole time and it's like you know you're talking to someone that is in prison you know and he's got half of his foot missing or a, a, a percentage of it and we'll talk all about that when we get to him but you know he's got a couple toes mid- missing a couple digits are gone and you're the one with the sad face <laughs> Like bring breathe some light in here, some positivity, like make him feel a bit better, cheer him up. No, instead she's just in here like you know, just pulling him down with her negative vibes. And she's 
so entitled. So entitled. I, I think that's the perfect word to describe it. If, if she was ever in prison, which she should be, um, then, then I think that, that would be her prison name is entitled. Um, but I did like her little pink belt. So Oh, you, you enjoyed the pink belt today on the, on the grey sort of trousers yeah gray sort of suit trousers I thought it was quite nice it's like you know there's a little touch of femininity in you know in there it's like i'm not all business distracting from her face <laughs> she's got a really pretty face <laughs> like she's that, that's more of the crime here is that you've got a beautiful face put a smile on it <laughs> Let the rest of the, let the rest of the world enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, if it is, yeah, exactly. Well, what did you make of their conversation? Um, she's very much the the sort of character that puts a downer on everything yes. at the moment. Um, and she is digging deeper into this investigation, and it is becoming a, a more of a conspiracy type series now, isn't it? And her storyline is more about conspiracy than anything. Um. But yeah, I would agree with the the conversation. You know, try and lighten the mood a little bit. Say, hey, at le- you know, at least it was two toes and not something else. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, but she, yeah, she's just a very, very serious character. Um, uh, and you know, fair play to is it? It's Robin Tunney, isn't it? Yep. That plays her. She 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 plays it fairly well. It's just she does have that constant look of just misery isn't it it's just pure misery it's so difficult to get out do you know do you know who she reminds me of and in, particularly in her sounding it's of um karen from the one from one tree hill oh really More... just the way she sounds if you were to like look away and listen to it it's just kind of there's a slight similarity there it's very strange but karen's face is always very sort of stern and a bit you know like confused at the world when she looks at the camera so i i kind of get that from veronica it's it's probably more contemplative than anything where things are going in but it doesn't look like anything's processing but she's probably processing a lot uh, and that's just the way this character's being played and it's all it's all a bit strange for me I, I find her quite frustrating very very yeah yeah well if we have any crossover listeners from our ravens podcast then i'm yes i'm Sure that uh, they would agree with you or or can see those similarities. When uh, Michael says, you know, it was, it was good to see you, there was almost a, a moment of something there, I thought. Did you? Like a little something. Well, from the first episode, I, I couldn't remember her, what her relationship was with the brothers. I, I, I wasn't sure if she was like Michael's ex- and knows Lincoln, but it's the other way around. And uh, it feels like there is a connection between them, but I, I have absolutely no recollection if there is or isn't. So there's there's potential for history there and for something more, but I don't know what that is. Well, we'll see. As we go forward, so she says, I'm going to go to this neighbourhood and try and find Letitia. And uh, Michael's saying, oh, be careful. Uh, maybe you know, go with someone. And she was like, well, who's going to go with me? And he was like, well, your fiancé may be a good place to start. And she's like, nah, that's the last thing that he would want to do. Now, we'll come back to that because I think that's important in the problems that they have in their relationship <laughs> is that she doesn't involve <laughs> him in anything. Anyway, we'll we'll come back. She goes to this apartment building. She opens the door. Now, 
the person she's talk- about to ask a question to is already coming out of the door, okay? She says to just a random person, oh, do you know where Letitia Barnes lives? And the person says, oh, yeah, up at number five. Now, the polite thing to do would be for Veronica to hold the door and allow that person to walk through because not only has that person already started to walk through that door, but they've also just helped her out and given her some information. But guess what? Guess what? Veronica's like, nah, fuck you. I'm walking through the door first. You're giving me what I want. <laughs> Don't give a shit. Move out the fucking way. Okay? I've got stuff to do. And guess what? What I'm doing is more important than anything that you're doing because I'm entitled. Get out my way, bitch. It really... It, mm. So anyway, she could... I'm so glad we're getting Veronica out of the way early because, <laughs> you know, all this pent up aggression is all coming out. It's nice. It, it's kind of cathartic, isn't it? I think so. It reminds me of when you get <laughs> fluff out of your belly button. It's just that feeling of release. That release, that removal. You feel lighter. It's really good. It's really good. So she goes up. The doors open. So she decides, I'm just going to walk in. You know, whatever. The world is mine. I am entitled to everything in the world, so I might as well have this apartment now. She walks in. <laughs> I and it made me jump. I had a little oh when when Letitia comes out with the gun. Uh, what did you make of this moment and this interaction? I thought it was gonna be um the Secret Service guys. I thought it would be Kellerman or Kellerman's little mate. Is that his official name, Kellerman's little mate? Yeah, Kellerman's little mate. He's probably bigger than him, but who cares? Let's go. <laughs> Kellerman's little mate, the other Secret Service guy, he seems a bit, you know, on edge, doesn't he, compared to Kellerman? And he's the sort of guy that would jump out with his gun out and, you know, waving it around. He's a loose cannon, if anything. He can't be trusted. Kellerman is cool, calm, collected, and his little mate is just crazy um i thought he, i thought it would be him that would jump out and no it was it was letitia jumping out with her gun waving it around like you know like she just don't care just she's gonna shoot anyone you could be secret service you could be a lawyer you could be anyone but you're getting shot today she hears the clicks on her phone she does she knows she's being followed and that's that's what's that's what's worse about her character is that she's probably really trustworthy has all the information um, but everyone will make out she's like some sort of crazy sort of drug riddled woman <laughs> that um, hasn't got a clue what she's doing. Yeah. And actually, you know, just some sort of conspiracy nut when actually she does know. She knows. She's got the answers. She's she's vital to it all. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, Veronica convinces uh, her, convinces the teacher that, you know, I can help you. Come with me. Come to my office. Write, uh, you know, a testimony. I can just type it up. You can sign it. And then she said, and then you can split. I really didn't like the word split in this <laughs> sentence. It's like, this is unnatural for you to say this. You trying to be cool now, Veronica? Trying to, trying to claim coolness now? Well, guess what? It didn't work. You're not cool. And she... <laughs> And she's like, and then I'll drive you to the airport myself. And I thought, okay, now we're doing something for other people. Only if you get something in return. And then, uh, yeah. And and then we move on. And Veronica, she gets a call from her fiancé, you know, within this. Sebastian seems like a nice guy. And uh, 
you know, just normal guy, average guy, nice guy. Is is he a lawyer as well? Do we know what he does? He does something. He wears nice clothes. You know, he, <laughs> he's he's a smart guy. He's providing, uh, you know, a lovely, a loving home, a loving place for Veronica to to just be herself, be comfortable. You know, be touched, maybe even be... smile. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. It's the sort of guy that's buying flowers. He's buying chocolates. He's, you know, a loving guy, Sebastian. And she's, uh, she's, she's not turned up to like a meeting about planning the wedding. And then she basically just hangs up on him. And all she would have had to done is say, "Look, it's kicked off. I, I've just been visited by two secret service agents. Uh, I've got this witness that could help in this case." It's it's really big, but it's all going horribly wrong, and they've now disappeared. I can't meet you there today, but I'll meet you there. I'll meet you later. Uh, I've got time when all of this has sort of ended. But she doesn't. She's just like, I can't do that now. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy, and hangs up. So he probably is loving. Buys chocolates. Buys flowers. He, you know, just wants to hold her. Um, <laughs> and she's, you know, the, the sort of person that just goes, I don't eat these. Throws them in the bin. I'm allergic to flowers. Throws them in the bin. Don't touch me. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I've just come back from the gym and I'm so hot and sweaty and I, I don't want you anywhere near me. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? It is definitely all of those things and more. She's, it's just sabotage of the relationship. She wants out. She just doesn't know how to do it properly. Yeah. And she hasn't been forthright just with with what's actually happening. Like if she just communicated to Sebastian and we know, we know Sebastian's a great guy. If she just said, look, we've got... I've got this going on. I have an ex-lover on death row. Okay. I don't want to be with him, but I have a connection to him. It's emotional. It's historical. Historical was the most important part of this, Sebastian. But I'm going to do my best to help. Uh, I would love your support in that. Sebastian would oblige. Of course he would. He's lovely, Dom. Mm-hmm. He's lovely. Um, but she, what a great guy. But she doesn't do that. She doesn't give him the opportunity. Instead, she just gives him little bits of information at, at, and hides things, which is only going to make him paranoid, which is very unlike Sebastian. He's not paranoid. He's a very well-adjusted guy. He seems it, doesn't he? He's got himself together. And, uh, you know, it's quite sad that he has to lay down an ultimatum, isn't it? You've got, you've got two choices. You either want to marry me mm-hmm. or you say you want to you wanna break um, or you want to postpone the wedding, and then that's it. Yeah. If you postpone, that's it. We're not. We're not having a wedding. Mm-hmm. But if you marry, if you if you say you want to marry me, we'll we'll get it done. We'll do this. She says, "I'm sorry, Sebastian," and so he says, "Okay, I'll pick up my stuff tomorrow." She doesn't even try. There's not even a single grain of of regret. Of can we talk about this? You know, can we anything we can do to reconcile this? Nothing. Nothing. Greedy. It's what she's always wanted. To be on her own or to be she without him. him. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Kicking him out of the place. Get out. Get out of my apartment. Poor Sebastian. Well, not poor what him. Great, he's, what a great guy. He's going to land on his feet. He always does. I <laughs> oh, can't wait. Can't wait to see how his story uh, <laughs> flows and continues now in happiness. <laughs> well, so we're. We then get Letitia and Veronica at her office uh, writing up the testimony. What happens here, Dom? 
Uh, Letitia is just bored of Veronica, really. They're sort <laughs> of in there. She's just bored of her, doesn't want to talk to her anymore, and is probably just getting a bit fed up with her moody face. You would do. So, That's natural. That happens to everyone. And she says, I'm going for a, I'm going for a smoke. I'd rather risk um, cancer than, than be in a room with you any longer. <laughs> it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes off to have her, um, her cigarette, and almost immediately... Someone else walks into the room. Who's walking into the room? Well, she says, oh, that was a quick smoke. And Kellerman says, oh, I I don't smoke. In comes Kellerman and introduces himself, all polite, so so confident. He's erring on the side of cockiness, but I think it's more confidence. What do you think, Dom? Is he cocky or confident or both? I think it's a bit of both. Cockiness comes from confidence anyway, doesn't it? Uh, sometimes, well, definitely overconfidence. Um, and he's in there. He knows. He's he's like, I know all the cards. I know everyone's hand. Um, but I, wanna, I want you to tell me what cards you've got, even though I already know. Um, and that's what makes him super creepy, <laughs> is that he, he's just in that position of power and what's worse as the watcher is that we know we know that he knows what card she's got but we know that she's not telling him what card she's got and it's all gonna be some sort of horrible mess of cards (laughs) well she's considering we we know as an audience that he's in an antagonistic position she doesn't know that he is right and she she treats him like garbage, like if you think about it. But she's his because he's being polite, and yes, he's opposing, but he's still being polite. He's saying, "Look, if there's if you have anything to say that he's innocent, then let us know." You know, obviously we know that that's you know because they would want to you know eradicate that uh, evidence. We assume, but uh, I I like the bit when she's like. Oh, is there something about the Freedom of Information Act that I haven't been made aware of? And I like the way he just kind of just laughs at her a little bit. Just, <laughs> okay. Just, yeah, so confident. I really like Kellerman. He's one of my favorite characters, even though he's, you know, the bad guy. <laughs> well, that's the resistance he gets from the other lawyer as well, isn't it? They He immediately throws in the Freedom of Information Act because... Um, they're secret service agents and you think oh god if these these guys are talking to me then something's really wrong or we're being accused of something Um, so they're very quick to throw out the law and go well we know our rights and we know this and we know that and that's kind of it's kind of what breaks the tension a little bit isn't it when he starts laughing he's like hey hey it's okay it's fine just wanted to know if you found anything on there that would point in Lincoln's favor that Mm. we could reinvestigate you know we're sure we've got the right man we know what we know. We know we've got we've got the right guy. But hey, if you found anything else that's that's untoward, then you've got to let us know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great. What a great guy! <laughs> but actually, he's doing his job. He's thorough. It's... But also, he's a horrendous murdering bastard. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to go hunting in the woods sometimes. You know, in autumn, maybe early winter. I think that's the time of year he's referring to. Because what we actually know is that this is just a distraction. While, in your words, his little friend is uh, snatching or kidnapping Letitia, we're assuming, because we cut at the end of the episode and Letitia's in the in the trunk or the boot of the car. 
Yeah. Uh, now I have a question about this because they they're in the the center of the of the city, you know, of uh, I'm assuming Chicago mm-hmm. or that the surrounding area where they're meant to be. And is the little mate stuffing her in the boot there or putting her in the back? They drive down a bit, then they stuff her in the boot because she was already like gagged and bound when they took her out. So what what happens? Are we what are we doing? Are we tying her up, gagging her, stuffing her in the boot in the middle of Chicago, or are we doing that? We're going to get onto the outskirts, then we're going to do it, and then we're going to get her out again. It all seems a bit, it all seems a bit, well, fluffy. Well, I have, well, speaking of fluff, I have a theory. I think that the little friend, I mean, he looks more, he looked like he would have more kinetic body hair energy with his, like, you know, um, shirts and, and woolen fabric garments, that he would get quite a bit of fluff building up and then he would use that chloroform it and then gag her with it and then that's what would happen to get her through that makes the most sense to me but is he doing that in the middle of chicago and then stuffing her in the boot that's what i'm asking or maybe he's maybe they're doing a dexter morgan you know they do like the injection into the neck and then Either way, it's going to be very difficult, isn't it? Maybe they just put a gun to her and just say, "Come this way, we're gonna, gonna kill you right now." Just, just worried about witnesses. That's all. Don't want them to have witnesses. How would? I mean, they probably don't want to have witnesses. Well, how would you do it if you had to do it? She goes in the back of the car first, as a suspect, as a perp. I drive down the road a bit, and then I stuff her in the boot. Okay, so maybe that's what they do. They just, like, arrest her. They, like, pretend to, you know, just handcuff her and just say, this is our prisoner, so it looks... Flash the badge, you know, make it look all official. Put her in the back. Yeah, put her in the back. And then... Yeah. But then why put her in the back? Yeah, I don't know. We're looking too deep into this, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I think you covered it with the fluff. That's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Is it... Is there any more from Veronica? So Veronica goes running down the road trying to find Letitia, but obviously can't find her. Um, and then that's kind of where Veronica ends, isn't it? That's pretty much it. I think we could probably cover off uh, Letitia and the two, and Kellerman and his friend at this point, because their only other scene really is is what happens at the end in the in the woods. Okay, so let, let's go there. So they, they pull up to... A clearing of the woods, don't they? Or like an area next to the woods. And the little mate opens the boot and he gets a swift kick in the in the stomach, which I'm, I'm thinking, yes, Letitia, yeah, fight this. You can make it. You can do it. Um, and Kellerman's like straight in there, like just like stuff her back in and then drags her out. <laughs> just like, don't, don't let her take control of the situation. And then he's like, okay, take her about 100 yards in. That'll do. That's it. Just going to discard a body a hundred yards into the woods. Not even going to go like a mile in or a- any sort of like deepness where there's a thick amount of shrubbery. Just go, just go a hundred yards in. That's fine. No one's going to look here. He's so so cold-hearted. Like there's no emotion there. It's just pure evil. <laughs> but but what happens, Dom? Um, it takes her into the into the little forest bit and. It's it's basically an execution. They've just decided to execute her in the, in the middle of this this little forest. Pulls out his gun and he says, "You know, he's kind of he's kind of already making out that he didn't want to do this. This isn't this isn't what he signed up for. This isn't what the Secret Service do. They don't just go out and 
do their own executions. Well, he also he he was trying to make a plea on Letitia's behalf, saying that you know she's nobody. Even if she talked, no one's going to believe her. We can just let her go. He's like, no, just take her in. Um, but then she manages to to get away. She's running away. She gets shot in the leg. Was you expecting that? Uh, I I didn't think she'd have the moment or like ability to plea with him because I think that'll affect him now and that'll bother him and that'll make him um, like an issue for Kellerman. Kellerman's now going to have to watch him very closely because he's doing something that he really didn't want to do and he's witnessed something that he really you know didn't want to see and with her getting the opportunity to run away I'm thinking this is the sort of character that Kellerman couldn't possibly let get away with anything even if they said she was a you know crazy lunatic and stuff like that he has to you know clean up no loose ends he's a no loose ends kind of kind of guy so um i wasn't at all surprised with you know what became of her ending um which was just like uh, it was a surprise when it happened but i wasn't a su- surprised that it was kellerman that eventually shoots letitia it was it was cold man it was cold pretty gruesome it's it's um it's kind of because we've been covering one tree hill um so closely and if you if you're a fan of one tree hill or even if you're not go check out our ravens podcast and you will become a fan because we love that show but it's uh it's crazy the difference like you know we're not seeing people getting shot in one tree hill and we're not you know seeing uh you know violence really apart from the odd punch here and there so uh yeah crazy is that's pretty much where we leave leave them as well, isn't it? Yeah. Do you remember what Kellerman says to his little mate at the end? No. What did he say? It's just a very cold-hearted moment where he says, pick up the casings. Oh, that's it. So yeah. Pick, just pick up the bullet casings and we're out of here. That's it. We're just leaving her there. Yeah. It's a rot. So sad. Yeah. It's deep. So sad. And obviously that's uh, an, another dead end for um veronica and for lincoln's case yeah absolutely uh, who sh- there we go who should we go on to next do do we want to lead into michael now yeah should we, go, should we get to him Let's um, do it. and then he everyone else kind of shoots off of him don't they so as we start with michael we can then lead on to other people if we need to and so on and so forth can i can i just say just before i forget that um, I just want to say the music, the score in Prison Break is so good. Like not just the theme music is amazing, but also all of the uh, all of the score that the music that's undertoning the the scenes is so good. It really paints the the picture, and I love it. And it, the theme music is so perfect. Or like it, you know, it feels all. It starts all slow, and then it just gets all frantic. And then sort of ends like it's just so perfect. So I think the composer's name is Raman Jawadi, and is so good, amazing. I love the score. What do you think of the music? Yeah, it's great. Exactly like you said. I I, I watch the full credits every time. Like I do on like I do on the Ravens podcast. I always watch the credits, uh, and I watch this one as well. And it's 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 brilliant. The the music that's put together, the music all the way through, uh, is very. Some of it's very subtle, 
but it's it's subtle at the right points and then it's you know it's it's loud and put in um it's it's a combination of good editing and obviously good you know music production and putting together as well it's, i i think it's really really good very well done yeah for sure so michael <laughs> what do you always laugh when i do that is that because it's like you've said you say something really detailed and i'm just like yeah totally so yeah uh, whatever moving on uh... no it's because <laughs> you say things that are so full and well-rounded it's like i have nothing else to add it's perfect so it's just like <laughs> perfect That's, yeah so where did michael begin michael began with um his little toes on the floor and the rest of him on a desk and so you didn't think it was going to happen on our last episode you said you didn't think so how did you feel when you saw and we did get to see it a little bit which i think was like the perfect amount like if that if it happened now in 2021 we would have to like see it and see like a close-up on his toe and pulsating and squirts of blood coming out and we don't need that like this is the perfect amount we got a flash of it okay let's look at other things let the imagination do it a little bit um i thought it was it was well shot what did you think yeah very well put together scene um just the the you see the fear in his eyes again you see the pain on his face um and then there's there is just blood everywhere and they're using like his sock and other things to like wrap it up aren't they especially when the um the co's walk in and like what the hell's going on they're like oh he he had an accident and we're helping him (laughs) um and then that's where they sort of start wrapping him up what what did kind of make me laugh is that they make him hop all the way to the (laughs) to the infirmary yeah so I'd, i'd quite I'm gonna get uh, see if I can get a schematic of the prison and see how far the um the outdoor like shed <laughs> yard bit is to the to the infirmary and see how far he had to hop with one one foot bleeding so much <laughs> that he was probably passing out. <laughs> You'd think they would just carry him or run and grab a stretcher or a wheelchair or something, wouldn't you? But we need we need a vessel to put put him whack him in a wheelbarrow <laughs> if you need to he <laughs> yeah. he doesn't he he looks light like you know he's he doesn't he doesn't look like he would weigh that much just pick him up there's like five of you you know <laughs> but yeah crazy i i take give it i'm having to use a lot of restraint to not talk about abruzzi's little conversation with bellic but we'll have to talk about it when we get to him but so then yeah. Michael goes up to the infirmary with uh, Dr. Tencredi and she's like, what happened? And he's like, I just had an accident. Um, and she says, you know, you need to tell me if something's happened. And he says, don't make me lie to you, please. What, what a great what a great line and a great moment, because he you can tell he, he wants to tell her and he's almost they're almost building a bond between them three episodes in mm. it's, it's so strange you know that the whole scene of, of them in the last episode having that his panic about whether he's going to come up as you know positive for diabetes and and what her assessment will be and then seeing the relief on his face to now seeing this moment of you know you can tell me you can tell me what's happened i can put you in a secure wing so that you're not attacked anymore and he's like what with the rape victims and the snitches the, what the snitches. I was going to say the squealers. <laughs> um, the rape victims and the snitches. Johnny Trojan um, just hates snitches out here. Snitches get stitches from Johnny Trojan. Absolutely. <laughs> um, 
Um, and it is you get a feeling that he wants to tell her what's going on, but he absolutely knows he can't because it's just going to ruin every other plan that he's got and everything else that he's, you know, working towards. Uh, I I quite like their their relationship already. It's it's quite when you're in the infirmary, there, there's certain areas of like in all sorts of different shows that you watch, but certain areas when you get to a certain room, it makes you feel uncomfortable. So when you're with Kellerman, you're, you're meant to feel uncomfortable. You're meant to feel like, oh, he, he's in the know. And is he going to react? Is he just going to kill someone because he has to? You know, what's going to happen? When you're in a cell, you're, you're, you're slightly uncomfortable. But you're like, oh, you know that he's safe because he's only in there with one other person. And he's, you know, it's kind of his refuge. When you're in the yard, you're like, oh, anything could happen. We have no idea. But when you get to the infirmary, it's like, this is like safety. He's not got any cuffs on or any shackles or anything like that he's sitting there one-on-one with the doctor it's kind of safe it's a nice environment and you, you i've i've got that tone straight away from like two episodes really of her being in it mm. yeah that's really good good analysis because he's being looked after he's being like monitored and yeah cared for so i yeah i agree i never really thought of it that way so thank you johnny it, it it might it might also be because that's where he's got to get to, and he knows that that's the in maybe in psychologically in his head that then sort of portrays it out to us as as the viewer as the audience is that he's got to get to that point, and that's the easiest point to get out of. So that that's kind of the safety point. Anything between his cell and there is all danger because it's tunnels and you know pipe work and stuff like that. But once they're in there, they're kind of a, a an easier point so maybe it's just like a a calming thing for him as well it's 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 good on both ways when the doctor's there it calms him down um, and obviously she patches him back up but also it's it's the just the general feeling of being in the infirmary seems to have this effect on me me anyway as a as an observer that it's a calmer place for him to be like a sanctuary yeah yeah nice well should should we cover the doctor off at the same time as well because he only really has two major scenes really with and they're both with michael so should we talk about them and then that kind of crosses her off as well yeah so he has his you know procedure like has everything sort of stitched up i suppose and we kind of see it a little bit when she removes he's he's doing that classic thing do you remember when you're a kid and you hurt you're like bleeding or something like that or you've you've like pulled a scab off or something silly like that and you put your hand on it mm-hmm. and you desperately don't want to remove your hand and then like your parent comes and says no no take, take your hand away and then as you take your hand away you go to put it back he was kind of doing that yeah He's like, don't look at it don't look at it. if you look at it it's going to be worse i'd rather just leave this bloody sock on it for now let it do its thing <laughs> <laughs> that sock Please will don't heal it, it that sock has healing powers I really, I really like the way, or well, didn't like, but you know, I thought it was well portrayed. Where he's, he's basically like crying, like he has his hands covering his eyes, and it just looked real, like how you would actually be. Like there's no, no time for bravery and facades if two of your toes are missing. It's like no, I am in agony. I need the drugs now. I need the anaesthetic now. Like that's all I was thinking. I was like, please inject him with some morphine now kill this pain for the love of god yeah. <laughs> it's not like make he, it all go away it's not like you know how you always see in movies and tv shows oh 
Someone, I accidentally chopped off my toes and my fingers. Quick, put them in some ice, which I think actually it's meant to be like lukewarm water, I think, actually, isn't it? To keep the uh, blood ventricles, um, you know, still active or whatever. I think if you put it in the ice, it actually can damage your... Anyway, please, 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 if you're listening, do not take that verbatim. If if I've got that <laughs> wrong and someone writes in and they've chopped off a finger somehow and they're like, oh, that's okay, I remember, Fox River, podcast, episode three, put it in some lukewarm water and then they get to the hospital and the doctor's like, what the hell have you done? Why didn't you put it in ice? And they're like, Fluffy Stray Arm told me to put it in lukewarm water. Who's Fluffy? Doesn't matter. You're missing a finger and it will never... Sorry. Don't <laughs> do your own research. I know nothing. Should we, should we put it out there now that don't take any medical advice from us? I think yes. Is that? I think we get that out there now. <laughs> don't take any medical advice from us. So whatever you do, you are responsible. <laughs> should, we, should we just say any advice at all in general, maybe? Is that your own risk? Um, yeah, I suppose. Uh, I, I would listen to you. And I'm sure you would listen to me, but that's pretty much as far as it needs to go, I think. <laughs> I think so. I mean, it's probably also a good moment to say that any listeners out there, if you'd like to send us pictures of your own collection of fluff that you've done over a seven week period next to a ruler, and if you kind of braided it together, we'd love to receive those. So feel free to send them to, to Dom on the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be inundated with fluff pictures now. <laughs> but you have to be polite and be like, oh, it's great. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Love the different I mean, colours. Is... You you wore red this week. That's that's nice. <laughs> Remember, this is all advice. You don't need to take people. <laughs> so the, a big part of this, though, is... Uh, uh, Sarah, the doctor, she starts to walk out of like the room that she's uh, like you know caring for Michael in, and Bellick sort of sees her coming out and starts to walk away, um, like almost on purpose, like he doesn't want to speak to her. And Sarah says, "What, what, what's happened here? Uh, what you need to start an investigation." And Bellick says, "Well, we don't need to do that. It's fine. Uh, we know what happened. He uh, he stood on um you know some garden shears." And she says, oh, so I went straight through the boot, did it? And he was like, well, yeah. And she said, then why wasn't the boot on his foot? There's no fool in her. Uh, so it doesn't look like you can really pull the wool over Tancredi's eyes. She's not stupid. She's no She knows that there's something wrong here. And now she knows that uh, Bellic isn't going to deal with it. And he isn't going to deal with it properly. Um, and she's not going to get the information from... Um, michael either so is she the sort of person that would go to the pope you know that i suppose that's for for me to see in the next episode but uh, i kind of think she is or she might want to take it further and just be like i don't trust what's happening here it doesn't seem right um because she knows it's not an accident there's nothing wrong with his boot his boot wasn't even on um his sock wasn't even on so there's no holes in his sock just a lot of blood just a lot of blood yeah yeah exactly nice so where uh yeah where does michael go on from there we've done the doctor now she's gone yeah yeah well 
I have a conversation later where she's saying about uh, Michael tells a story about fear and about how um, Lincoln used to say to him that fear isn't real, it's air. It's not even air, it's less than that. But here in prison, it's like uh, there's, the fear is real and there is a monster behind every door. And that's like what ties into what you said earlier about um, her saying about him being trans. She could, she could get him transferred to Agnek, I think it's called, where, yeah, the snitches and the rape victims are. And he says, actually, he wants to face these monsters on his own. Yeah, he said like behind every every door now is a is a real person, and they're and they're the monster. Um, and he's he's right. There's now blockers being thrown up in his way, and he he when he went to Lincoln with his plan, and he's like, it's absolutely foolproof. Nothing can go wrong. I've I've considered every variable, and we're now you know hitting the harsh realization that he hasn't, and the tea bags in the way, and Abruzzi's in the way. Uh, Bellick's in the way there's all these things just all these blockers being thrown up you know um, Sucre's now been moved out of his cell which we'll get to but there's just all these blockers now and, and you can see that world is hitting him and, and I think that's probably what brought on the tears more than him getting his toes cut off <laughs> yeah <laughs> well so Michael's then back in the yard quite quickly a uh, little, little hobble you know a little bit of a limp going on and uh, he's talking to Lincoln through, you know, through the through the gate, not gate, through the fence. And, you know, he's told 10 feet Schofield, he has to back up a little bit. And he's saying that, you know, he had planned for every variable, but he knew that he was going to have to take some leaps of faith when he got here because there's some things he's not able to plan at all. And that is who his cellmate's going to be. And so he points out Sucre, and then Lincoln saying, well, look, you can't trust him. He's, he's a thief. You know, you can't, you know, what do you even know about him? And Michael's saying, well, I know him as well as a man can know anyone within a week. Um, you know, so we just we sort of have to go with it because he has to be digging in his cell. So should we should we then lead up? Should we say everyone stems off of Michael, do a bit of Michael's story, and then go on to that part of the story? So because we could kind of mm. cover off Sucre as well now, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so tell, talk to us about Sucre. So we've had the lead up exactly like you explained that Lincoln and Schofield are talking about Sucre. Can we trust him? Lincoln's are absolutely convinced they can't. So um, Michael has a plan: is we need to test him. And this test is the cell phone test, and so good. This is this is the whole title of the episode, you, you know. And I actually thought it'd be cell as in prison cell, not cell as in mobile phone cell, which you know we call it a mobile phone, they call it a cell, you know. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it it was a surprise to me that he had this. Michael's got this phone in his in his bunk in in his room i'm thinking where the hell did he get that from he's only been in there a week you know this is crazy <laughs> um c notes doing some working some wonders for him right now <laughs> you know he's got some drugs he's got the phone probably gonna have a you know plasma tv on the wall pretty soon <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and uh sucre sees him hide it in a little like box like fuse box on the wall when they're they're doing their painting of you know part of the prison that isn't used anymore that they're doing up whilst they're supposed to be working and Sucre very very quickly jumps to the 
are you kidding me? Is that a cell phone? Do you do you know how much trouble I get in just even for knowing that you have that cell phone with you? What's what the hell are you doing? Yeah, and then because the the part that's become that's preceded this is we've seen Sue Cray calling um Marie Cruz and her cell phone is off and it keeps going to voicemail. So he calls her at home. And he's, he's leaving a, a, a message on the answer machine saying, look, I was in the hole. I, you know, I'm sorry. I was thinking about you, thinking about your body, really thinking about your body. And then the, and then the mum picks up <laughs> and they have this conversation. And it turns out that Mari Cruz is with Hector. Um, and of course. of course, and she's saying, the mum saying, look, if you love her, then you'll let her live her life. And Sukho's like, what does that, what's that supposed to mean? And, you know, that's the end of that. And he's very upset because he's not able to, you know, get hold of her. So being able to have access to a cell phone would be incredibly advantageous to our friend Fernando Sucre. Yes, absolutely. Uh, He would be able to, and he, he kind of, it does get to a point where Lincoln has to be part of the plot now and part of the test and uh, mentions to Bellick that there is an inmate with a, with a cell phone and Bellick immediately wants to know um, who it is and, and where this phone is. But Lincoln's, you know, smarter than that. He bargains for some, for some extra time out in the yard uh, and for some extra cigarettes. Uh, he's, you know, he's not gonna, he's not just going to give over information. It's, it's not as easy as that. He, he wants something in return. Yeah, I watched that bit back between Lincoln and Bellick like three times because the, um, he Lincoln says, hey, Bellick, and Bellick sort of stops the conversation he's having with one of the other guards and he's like, what's up, Lincoln? It's kind of respectful, like. It's almost like Bellick respects Lincoln a little bit and I wonder if that's because he knows he's on death row and it's like, well, you know he's going to die. Like, it's a bit different to other in well very different from other inmates i mean did what did, did you notice that uh yeah it did seem more of a conversation rather than you know co to prisoner and it felt like he could have a nice easy chat with him and he didn't really want to give anything away in terms of giving him extra time out in the yard or this that and the other but he did and he was just like yeah do you know what i'll give you some more time out there and I'll get some, you know, fags for you, but I need to know who it is because it's like, because that's not going to be correctional or under the, let's put it under, you know, inverted commas of correctional, yeah. this person isn't leaving the prison. So, I'll, you know, I'll treat him like a person because he's just going to die at the end of it. Whereas all of these idiots have got a time limit of how much of a bastard I can be to them before <laughs> yeah. they leave. Um, and then they might come back. I think that's the element is that this lot might come back. They might return to this prison and I want them to know how ruthless I am. That's, that's what I'm getting from Bellic on on this Mm. already. Yeah. And it was harsh. It's like you can have half an hour yard time, extra yard time for a week and one cigarette. (laughs) One. Jeez. Come on. What a bargain. (laughs) But, but yeah, he he tells Bellic that Sucre has a cell phone, basically. Not in those words, but he does. So Sucre gets pulled in for questioning and his conjugal visits get put under threat. And he's like, please, 
don't take my conjugals. For the love of God, man, please. You don't understand. I, I like the fact that Bellick calls it the boneyard. <laughs> <laughs> Bellick has so many good lines like that throughout the whole show. And But he's, he's smart, though, Bellick. He's not dumb. And he's, just, he's like, yeah, look, you, you know, the rules say you have to be married. And uh, so he goes, like, well, we're engaged. And, you know, I've got that coming to me. I haven't caused any static in here. And he's like, don't worry. I'm not going to take your conjugals away. But, you know, you need to give me the information. And he doesn't do it. Sucre is a, is a man of honour we're starting to work out. He's... Uh... He's living by the criminal's code here, and he will keep that information to him. He's, he doesn't want to be a stitch. He doesn't want to end up on another uh, wing of, of the prison uh, and end up being, you know, in the, in the squeaker's corner. Is that, I'm gonna, <laughs> squeal, squealer's corner, I'll call it. Squealer's corner. Um, yeah. So he's, you know, not saying anything. He's now lost his conjugal visits, and he comes and says to, to Michael, it makes it very clear, I just lost my conjugal visits over that cell phone, so I want to make unlimited amount of phone calls on it. There's no limit to to when I can use it. And he says, "Well, okay." Well, my and he hands him the phone, and he just snaps it, and he's like, "It's soap." <laughs> what did you think of that as a first time viewer? It was only when he handed it to him that I thought this isn't a phone. Uh, other than that, I thought oh, that's a pretty good. I thought it was a phone, and, and like uh, beyond that, when he snaps out, I thought that's a bloody good mock-up of a phone, isn't it? That he's made out of soap. That's a big bit of soap. <laughs> Very. Well, do you know Is on my like melting soaps together? Is that <laughs> <laughs> on my second watch? Um, obviously, knowing that it's uh, it's not a phone. When they, when Sucre first sees Michael like stashing the phone away, he says, "Tell me that's not what I think it is." And Michael says, "It's not what you think it is." And I thought that's so good on repeat viewing because it's not what you think it is. That's hundred percent true. Yeah, absolutely. He's just got a bit of fashioned soap that he's that he's dyed <laughs> into a different color it, it was so smart so clever and then when he gives it to him and he's like immediately knows it's not a cell phone snaps it in half is like are you fucking kidding me i lost my conjugal visits for soap <laughs> well, he's this, so angry well this then escalates and he's saying michael's telling him the plan and lincoln's like overhearing and sort of watch observing from a from a little bit of a distance and uh and Sucre saying, if you if if you dig in in my cell, I'm gonna split your wig. I'm gonna beat you six ways from Sunday or whatever he says. You know, that's extra time on his beard. He's only gonna he's only he's got sixteen months left and then he's gonna be free. Um and Michael's trying to reason with him, but no, it's not happening and you know, threats of violence. And then we get we get a comedy moment where Lincoln says, Oh well that went well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a great bit. That went well. <laughs> that's almost like that British humour type, wasn't it? That's the yeah. that sort of dry wit. That right, I wanted to ask you a question specifically. Specifically you. So you are a person that can speak many languages the language of love the the language of english and you can speak spanish now i 
Can you speak any other languages? Uh, no, not really. Yeah, a little bit of French, like every every English person can, enough to order yeah. a beer and say please and thank you. But <laughs> um, I am in no way talented like you, and I can only speak English and just about. Um, but Sucre um, is Puerto Rican, I think, right? Sure. I think so. Um, but his... Um, he throws in, you know, bits of Spanish here and there. Um, when he and there's a bit in the yard where Michael's watching him from a distance, and he's speaking in Spanish, and he's like doing, pretending to be speaking on a phone and like talking to his friends and, and whatever. Prison bants in its full effect. Yeah. My question to you is: Did you did you know what he was saying? Because he's speaking in Spanish, and obviously there's no subtitles. Uh, yeah, for the most part, like when he when he has a small bit of interactions with Michael and he says something back to him in Spanish and then storms off, whatever. I, I get all of that. That's that's kind of easy bits to understand. The conversation he was having with um, all of the other guys in the yard, um, I, I, bits like that, I tend not to pay attention to what they're saying as much. I, I focus more on what they're doing. But yeah, I get. I if I don't understand all of it fully, I get the gist. I understand enough of it to understand what's being said. And what what was the swear word that he said? He called him something like uh, when it's like Benehono or something. Or he no, I don't know. I was imagining. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? Um, it's kind of like dickhead or something like that it's along those lines the, the problem is is that i don't think there's ever really a a direct translation <laughs> for like yeah i was assuming it was something like you fucking prick or something like that it's kind of like i'm not meaning stu- to put you on the spot i just thought it's no, just, it's, it's it's just like, interesting it's like stupid it's kind of calling someone stupid basically you know what you know when we'd call someone who's stupid a bit of a oh, stop being a dickhead yeah it's kind of like that it's kind of like that but it means you're stupid, basically. And he calls um he calls him puppy a lot. <laughs> does that does that what does that what does that mean? Like I assume it just means like friend, or like how British people would use the word mate or something. I don't know. It's kind of like a it's like a baby. You're calling someone baby. You know, like if you call your wife baby or something like that. It's kinda of like that. It's more of a it's a strange, like affectionate term, but I don't know. If he's like, hey, baby, kind of thing to like other cellmates. Like, hey, puppy. <laughs> I, I love it when he says it. I love it. And he's saying, how how would you be spelling that? Like, it, is it... P-A-P-I, I think. Puppy. Yeah. Hey, puppy. <laughs> I love it. And he, and he called Mari Cruz mummy as well. Hey, mummy. Yeah. Just the same. It's kind of, same it's thing. Kind of yeah. like babe. Baby, right. hey, baby, right. baby girl. It's really interesting to me, like people that are bilingual. Um, it's so cool. Like, so I mean, it's so generally in films, if people are speaking Spanish, you like does does your mind like actively be like, oh, I'm I'm translating what they're saying in my head, or it's like you're just <laughs> hearing it, like as if you were hearing it in English. Uh, no, I have to translate it in my head. If they're talking very, very quickly, I'll miss loads and I'll just be like, I have no idea what the hell they were talking about. If they're talking at a, a decent pace and I can get the the most of it, I, I'm not like fully fluent, but I'll I'll be able to take in enough of it to go, 
This is exactly the context of what they're talking about. And there's enough in there, like words like pendejo or, you know, all the insult words and stuff like that. That's always <laughs> the first thing you learn, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I'm, my only frame of reference is English, and I learned those pretty, pretty young, so I guess so. <laughs> But okay, so uh, Sucre, um, yeah, he then decides he's leaving the cell because he he wants a normal a normal celly that he's just gonna do his time and just get on. And Michael's like begging him, like, no, please, like, wait. And I was thinking, but actually, is this not what you need, Michael? If he's not gonna go with you, and don't maybe you roll the dice and you get someone that's like a lifer that's going to want to get out. Obviously, you're also rolling the dice and you might not get someone pleasant to be in your cell that sings while they pee. I mean, that's obviously what you want, but, you know, it's for your safety. But potentially, this is what he needs. If it's not going to work with Sucre and he's not going to be able to convince him, then he needs a new cellmate or nothing's ever going to happen, is it? Well, yeah, absolutely. He needs someone else who's going to be, you know, who's going to be happy to get involved or happy for him to crack on and do what he's got to do. Um, and either play dumb and not acknowledge it or be involved. And if Sucre is not going to be involved, then that's on him, I suppose. Um, but, you know, I, I would get the feeling that this is going to sort of bite Sucre in the arse, really. He's going to end up needing to get out a lot sooner than expected or something like that. And it, it's going to end up needing to get, get back into that cell somehow. And they'll have to work, hatch some silly plan together to to get him back in there but i'm not sure if that works he might have to involve his new cellmate that moves in at the end of the episode Mm, so you don't think this is the last of sucre no okay but does that tick off (laughs) sucre should we move on to another character or where michael goes next we're gonna go to where michael goes next is that does that help yeah he's kind of the he is the linchpin of the show isn't he he's the one we need to keep going back to so we could kind of cover off him and lincoln couldn't we yeah that that covers off lincoln yeah let's do that okay so we they've had their conversation at the fence lincoln is now deeply involved in him and the little plot between him and suit gray and we get sort of beyond that and lincoln has a lot of visits from he has a visit from the pope and Pope saying to him, it actually sounds like the Pope has come, but you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, uh, the warden Pope has come to say to him, look, you've got no one planned in to come and watch your execution. You might want people there. So who do you want there? And he's like, I don't want people to watch me die. Why would I want them to come and see me die? It's ridiculous. And um, Pope kind of says some bits to him. And I, I can't really remember the context of what Pope says because he's not in it for long. He's literally only in it for that scene and then we don't see him again. So He basically just says that every every inmate that's decided to go it alone and not have anybody there to witness their sort of execution has li- has regretted it in their final moments. So he says, look, let's leave it blank for now. And then, you know, you can, you've got four weeks left and you can decide later. He's, he's being nice to Lincoln. I think it's, it's a nice moment though it's on you know with horrendous content i suppose he goes on to say actually now you've just reminded me so thank you for that that he um pope goes on to say that there's people that want to do it alone there's people that want a full crowd there they want important people there to make a statement before it happens and you know they don't shut up sort of thing and (laughs) it's just kind of has that sentiment i've seen so many and they're done so differently I, i know that you would regret 
not being able to see your family before you you go which is kind of the sentiment he leaves and then we have a scene with Lincoln and a priest and I kind of assume that he's the like prison chaplain he's kind of always there or you know that's Mm. that's his role to work in the prison and he's saying the same thing why haven't you picked any family to come and see you off and he's like why would I want them to watch me die why would I want to hurt them that one last time before I go and he makes a a really good point I feel that the priest at this point where he says well actually it's about a lasting image for you it's the last thing you're going to see when you go when I see your loving family before you move on to the other side yeah it was a really good point like an impactful moment yeah yeah and when that that leads on to uh lj so lincoln's son he meets with like a i'm guessing it's a juvenile corrections person i don't know what you'd call them i thought it was like a probation officer yeah 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 exactly and this reminded me of free willy oh yeah, yeah, I kind of see that because he, the, Jesse and Free Willy meets with you know yeah like a probation officer guy and you know they set him up with Michael Madsen and uh, the, his and the foster mum, but and then you know whales are involved and so that's where the difference is here is there there are no whales but we are talking about an, an escape plan for Willy the whale and Michael's escaping. So there are, there's a lot of synergy between prison break and free Willy that I don't think people have really acknowledged before. <laughs> well, this is the exact reason we're here is to, <laughs> is to find these links and bring them to light. The <laughs> people need to hear this. But yeah. I, I don't know how anyone's life has, you know, existed without this knowledge until this point, but that's what we do. We connect dots. <laughs> and some dots we didn't even see coming so <laughs> that's right <laughs> um but so should we, should we clear off lj as well yeah so it's so all part of this is that he has to lj has to go to the scared straight program at fox river where he's going to have a mentor and that mentor is going to help him you know through this period and try and you know adjust his attitude and his mentor is going to be Hudom. It's going to be his father, Lincoln. Dun, dun, dun. Cuts. I, lo- I love the fact that it's called the Scare Them Straight Initiative or whatever program. That's <laughs> so funny. Just, we're going we're gonna to put you in a prison and we're going to scare you to the point of never committing a crime again. <laughs> it works. I'm sure that works. I, I mean, I probably would be. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If If I... If, <laughs> If I went to the Scared Straight program and my mentor is Johnny Trojan and, you know, he's telling me about, you know, bleaches and, you know, chloroform on fluff and stuff, I'm just, I'm done with this criminal (laughs) life that I was starting to venture into. But so (laughs) LJ uh, goes to the prison and... Uh, Lincoln's there. Lincoln asks to be unshackled, and they he allows him to because he's in a cage, and the, the whole visual is very impactful. And Lincoln he gets through to LJ and says, you know, at the end of the day, this is about love. Uh, that's all that's important in life. And you know, he puts his hand up, and they sort of hold hands through the um, through the the partition, and. It's it's a nice moment. It's like he breaks through to his son. What did you think? 
I mean, if it's the scare them straight initiative, it's hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna die for the crime I committed. So don't, or didn't don't do even, crimes. Or didn't even commit. Yeah, don't 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 do crimes. It's it's, it's there's no easy way out. <laughs> so it'd be the shortest scare them straight initiative ever because he's only got like thirty days left or something like that. Is that like yeah. four weeks before his planned execution? So. You know, it's it's obviously not a a long program that he has to follow. <laughs> if yeah. That's his mentor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or as part of the initiative, you have to watch the execution. Oh, You're God. pressing the button. That's that. Oh God. <laughs> that's the final test. That's yeah. the final. Okay, you've almost graduated. Now kill your own father, and then you're good. <laughs> Done. Imagine that. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> No, obviously not. But, that um, never happened in Free Willy, did it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thankfully not. Yeah. But um, no, that's awful. We're just joking, obviously. Uh, so that <laughs> we then move. That's pretty much Lincoln, isn't it? We. That's pretty much them. Uh, yeah, pretty much. So it's Lincoln, LJ. I mean, Lisa, which is Lincoln's ex, so LJ's mum, is at the office with LJ. So. She doesn't really say a massive amount either, so she can kind of be signed off. And yeah, Lincoln just continues hoping that, you know, Michael's plan comes through and that Veronica keeps investigating. And that's kind of it, really, isn't it? That's pretty much it. And so should we go to a Brutzy tea bag or Haywire? Well, uh, we'll leave Haywire till the end because he's only in at the end. I think a Brutzy and tea bag we can sort of. Um, linked together when they're with Michael. Mm-hmm. So we, if we talk about a Brutzy's conversation in the visitation room. Oh, yeah. And then kind of where he goes from there. So should we go from there? Yeah. The, can we go all the way back to a Brutzy just after the toes have been cut off? Please. Because Tell me about it. Bellet comes in and says, Brutzy, I thought you were just going to have a conversation with him. And Brutzy says... Yeah, I did, <laughs> but it escalated, and that's it. <laughs> it's so good. It's just so nonchalant. Well, we had a conversation. It got a bit heated. I chopped his toes off. Get off my back, Bellic. <laughs> Love it. But yeah, so then he's in the visitation room, and he's with uh, Falzone, and what happens here? Uh, He's talking to Falzone's putting pressure on him he's like hey Philly calm down I'm doing my best and uh, he's like well your best isn't good enough you know you used to be a man that would get results and that would get names and stuff like that and I don't want to end up in the prison cell next to you and I will not let that happen and he's the kind of guy like mobster boss that is not going to let this happen quietly is he so um, Abruzzi kind of pulls out this little box doesn't he from his top pocket and he's like yeah have just have a little look at that you know, this This is how much, you know, effort I'm putting into getting this information. And he opens the box and he's like, oh, they belong to him? Like, yeah, this is, this is the guy that with the information, he ain't going to talk through these means. And it, it's kind of Falzone that has to say, maybe you should try other methods. You know, you don't have to chop bits off this guy to get the information you need. There must be something else. And he's like, hmm. It kind of sets the Brutzi into a moment of, like, thought. Um, and then Philly has to include the incentive. So the incentive to uh, to get the job done and get 
um, get the location of um, Fibonacci. Fibonacci, that's it. Uh, is some children, and whose children are they, Simon? They're John's children, and he, and the kid comes straight in and says, "Daddy, have you heard the news?" And they're like, "What? What news? We're going to stay with Uncle Philly at the lake for a couple of weeks." And Falzone's like, "Yeah, it's going to be great." It's like, but John, you're going to handle that thing for for me, right? You're going to do that thing. It's like, wow, this is, wow, <laughs> pressure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So now, now we're in that tough situation. I think, and Abruzzi's feeling that 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 ultimate pressure, and that he goes, okay, I've got to come up with a plan. I need some way of making it clear to Michael that he can trust me, but I also need him to know that. I'm in charge and that I need that information and I need it now. And the best way of getting through to him is kind of via teabag. Well, yeah, like helping him. But just, just yeah. before that bit happens, he's in the brutes is in his cell and uh, one of his, his cellmate, one of his, you know, like peoples says, maybe we should chop off his whole foot. Hey, <laughs> 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 Jesus, and then what's he gonna say? Michael would be like to to Doctor Tencredi, I tried on the shears again, but this time my whole foot. <laughs> I'm really bad at gardening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just such a klutz. No, <laughs> but uh, but John says maybe the Beatles were right. All you need is love. <laughs> what a great line. And so, um, if we cut, should we cut over to Teabag quickly, just to get him up to the point of where they're going to intersect? Yeah. So, talk to us about Teabag when he goes shopping for a little bit of weaponry. Teabag, in his super creepy way, gets really close to the guy that is in like the metal shop department, like really close as well. It's like all up in his face. That that freaks me out. That you don't need to be that close to me. You can tell me what you need to tell me from two feet away. And that's close enough. Two feet is still pretty close. Well, did you notice that that guy was the guy that was on the bleachers that was in that was telling him, telling Michael about Teabag? So he's obviously, uh, you know, in there with Teabag. Uh, you have some respect for Teabag. Show he, him some respect. Well, he, yeah, well, he... I love, I, like, as horrible as it is, this was my favorite scene of the whole thing because I loved the, uh, like, it was, almost, it, they, it was almost like a flirtation with each other over this, the weapon. And uh, Teabag's whole delivery is just like, I want something slow. You know, something that's going to make the guy wish that he was about to die. But he just can't quite get there. And it's like his <laughs> eyes, his like the eye acting was phenomenal. Like the sort of opening is like he was lustfully looking at this guy. And then the uh, the guy that's give, getting him the weapon gives him what, Dom? It gives him this horrendous knife with all these ridges and then goes into the explanation of you put it in him and you pull it out. There's stuff's going to follow its way out. His intestines are going to be all over the floor and there's no way you're poking them back in. And that won't even kill him. It'll be the infection that kills him. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. And uh, T-Bag's like, you're one sick puppy. Yeah. And then the other <laughs> guy's like, thank you. Yeah. 
I love I love that part. I love it. Like as horrible as it is, it's great. It's crazy. So yeah. uh, we have the the it gets to the moment in the in like the canteen, um, when they're like queuing up for food and Schofield's close to Teabag. Teabag then pulls out the knife. Um and he's so sort of it's like a normal everyday thing. He doesn't want anyone to see because he doesn't want to be stopped. He doesn't care about doing it and being caught because he's probably already in there for life times 20 or whatever anyway. So it doesn't matter. He can go around killing whoever he wants because it's, it makes absolutely no difference. And that's when he's very quickly intercepted by a Brutzi who puts his hand on his shoulder and like sits him down again. And he's like, you know, remember, basically says, remember all of that, all of this shit needs to come through me. It comes from me. He's like, you don't, you know, you know, own me. You don't run this side of it. I can do what I want to him. He's like, no, no, no. It comes through me. I, I do run this bit. You know, I do. Yeah. And that's like asserting his dominance. There's a strange amount of respect for a Brutzi from Teabag, which you know, knowing the type of characters, you wouldn't expect at all. Yeah, there's a hierarchy, isn't there? Of who's got power. Um, and he's like, I don't have to come to you for a green light. And he's like, remember, everything in this prison runs through me. Um, it's like Brutzi's like top dog. And uh, he says, you know, but look, if you have a problem with our friend here, then we have something in common. So basically saying, let's do this together and get and get it done. And then this cuts to Michael being uh, like sort of snatched into a, like a sort of storage cupboard area or something. And uh, and what happens here, Dom? It starts off as a like he's roughed into the room, isn't he? By the I think it's the guy that's in a Brutzi cell. Like yeah. Shoves him into into that side room, um, and Teabag appears from like behind a, a wall because he he thinks it's going to be like another like shakedown, beat him up for information uh, from a Brutzi and his goons, um, but actually it becomes even more threatening now because he's threatened with you know it's, it's the potential to be raped i suppose is is the fear and it's a brucey saying i have this power to bring this person and do this and we will watch him do it to you so you need to give me this fucking information because he will do unspeakable things to you teabag says um, we will sorry go on uh, no no go on please i, I wrote the line down because i actually thought it was a, re- a really good line but it was so shocking as well no go on go 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 uh, maybe we ought to get the love out the way before we move on to the hate. It's so horrible. It's <laughs> so horrible. And he's like starting to, it looks like he's starting to like unzip or starting to, you know, prepare himself for horrible acts. Um, but then he catches uh, an Abruzzi elbow straight to the nose and then gets a swift beat down and good old, good old fashioned kicking on the floor from uh, Abruzzi's friends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as soon as he's put that knife down, Abruzzi then just yeah, that elbow to the face. Oh, that's that's breaking that's breaking noses right there. Uh, yeah, for sure. And what what I what I liked about this scene was Abruzzi and Michael sort of walk out and they just start having a conversation. And then in the background, like suddenly all the guards are like rushing in because like a man's being like beaten to like half to death. And then they start talking and uh, Abruzzi's saying, look, I was going about this the wrong way. You know, I'm trying to make amends here. Let's let's move forward. Let bygones be bygones. And uh, Michael says, you're a mercurial man, John. I had to Google it. 
and he is so the definition is someone that uh his mood is unpredictable you know for how how they feel uh, how did you feel about this whole back and forth that that ensues between michael and abruzzi i thought it was really good abruzzi's just turned around and said to him i had the power to let teabag do whatever he wanted to you and i stopped it i'm just like that's how powerful i am um just in this prison setting so there's no there's no way out for you there's no easy ride i've got you know Bellic on you know is kind of on my side a little bit because he doesn't like you and i can make your life so difficult but give me a little bit of information i can make it very easy and then it becomes a conversation rather than threats so it becomes a conversation between the two of them of this is exactly what i need i need a flight and you need to be the one to get it to me and he's like how why the hell do you need a flight and he's like when i'm outside the walls i kind of need somewhere to go so if you can sort that out for me i'll give you the information you need but he's maintaining his word that he's not getting any information until he's the other side of that wall yeah it is great and it's a great you know sort of set up and uh for what's to come uh, and is that pretty much it for Teabag and Abruzzi? Yeah, we don't see Teabag again, so assuming he has to go and get, you know, bandaged up or sorted out. But yeah, that's that's pretty much for him. And Abruzzi as well. Abruzzi has um, uh, quite quite a big part in this episode. Um, uh, but yeah, I think we've covered it all there. So is that last but not least? I, I think we've still got Bellic to talk about. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then uh who else have we got? Is that it? Just hey, talking about the rest of Michael? And Haywire. And of course of course Haywire at the end. And I've written down what he says as well. <laughs> well where shall we go? Shall we wrap up Bellic? Let's get rid of Bellic, yeah, because he's a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> I w I don't know what else, what else there was about Bellic that we haven't spoken about. What else happened? So there's the, the moments of Bellic were finding Michael with his toes chopped off and yeah. saying, I thought you're just gonna, you know, have a conversation. Denying the doctor the investigation, be saying that he, you know, stood on some shears, has this conversation with Lincoln about the cell phone and uh secretly loses conjugal visits as a, as a result. Uh, speaks to Link, speaks to Lincoln. We covered that. Um, no, I think that's it. Okay, so Bellic, Bellic signed off. Bellic's done. Bye, Bellic. Bye, Bellic. Um, <laughs> and then, so what? What else happened with Michael then that we haven't spoken about? I think we just need to go straight into to so Haywire. Okay. He, well, he he says to Lincoln, doesn't he? Uh, I've got a new cellmate. It could put me under a bit of strain or whatever. I'd, I don't know what he's going to be like. He's from the psych ward, and Lincoln's like, "Oh, who is it?" Well, that's what Bellic says, isn't he? It's like I, fa- I found a new inmate for uh, a new cellmate for you. He's from the psych ward. You're the only guy with a with an empty tray, I think, is what he said. And so he's like, "But hey, Schofield, don't look him directly in the eye." Okay, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and he's allowed in, and sort of turns and looks. And Schofield just immediately like looks down, like look away, don't look at this guy, just do not look at this guy. I'm gonna actually heed some advice <laughs> from a CO and pay no attention to this geezer. <laughs> and Bellic's like, if you have a problem with it, put it here in my suggestion box, and like taps the toilet. <laughs> now this really bothered me because he's using like he's like a nightstick or whatever. I'm thinking, please clean that now. You put it in a toilet. <laughs> 
Like, yeah, okay, you're using it to hit people, sure, but you're the one who has to carry it around. You have to put it in your car. You, you probably take it home. Or you put it in your locker. You know what else is in your locker? Your valuables. The things that you do take home, your clothing. Guess what? Toilet, the germs, and, you know, bacteria. That's all going on to all of your personal belongings. So clean it or stop poking your nightstick into toilets. Disgusting. Disgusting. That's disgusting. So Michael says to Lincoln, it's not a problem. I'll, uh, I'll just work when he sleeps. He does. Absolutely. And uh, Lincoln's sort of looking at him and he's in the yard on his own. He's a guy that we're, we're not going to go near for now. <laughs> we're we're going to stay away from, from Haywire. Old Strayarm and, and Johnny Trojan need to stay away from this guy because he's crazy. <laughs> well, do you know that actor that's playing Haywire? He originally auditioned to be Michael. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. So, but yeah, but he got the. I mean, he gym. looks too crazy to to be Michael. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a great job of. He does, you know, crazy doing... very well. Um, Michael says, "What's your problem? Is this the line that you've got written down?" Well, it's uh, it's when he gets up and starts like unscrewing the toilet, and he's about to start working, and Haywire's then like looking over the bed. And it's just terrifying. You sort of look up and he's there. It's just this creepy face. And the way his face is like, the way he holds his face is just so creepy. It's weird. You can kind of expect like a lector mask, <laughs> yeah. kind of a lector mask to be put over him just to kind of contain. I think he's going to eat Michael. I think that's where <laughs> we're going to go with this. <laughs> and that's the end of it. The end of the yeah, show. Yeah, that's it. It's done. Episode four, Michael gets eaten. <laughs> it's just eating them tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> He says, he's just staring at Michael and he's looking at him and he goes, I got a neuro, uh, sorry, is it, I got a neuroanatomic lesion affecting my reticular activating system. <laughs> Michael's like, what does that mean? He's, it means I don't sleep at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, and that's oh. how the episode ends, doesn't it? I that think. is literally the end of it. <laughs> like, it's great. Oh shit! <laughs> so, what did you? Is there anything we've missed out, or anything else we need to say before to say that we've covered it all? I think that's it, isn't it? Uh, I think we've got through everything on the episode. That's all the characters. There wasn't anything necessarily missed out. So, I think this is a good opportunity to say, if you like our podcast and you want to listen to more of our content and stuff like that we've got loads of extra bonus stuff on our patreon and you can find out about that by listening to this hello and welcome to 1030 productions he just became a raven welcome to Prisneyland, fish our network is made up of two podcasts the ravens a one tree hill podcast covering each individual episode of the show and Fox River, a prison break podcast covering each individual episode of the show. All of our podcast episodes are free on all podcast platforms. But if you'd like to support us on our podcast journey, then we have free Patreon tiers with bonus content and ways to connect with us that we would love to share with you. All of our Patreon tiers include all of our podcasts. The first tier, Junior Varsity or The Yard. Get on the train, please. Get on the train. You will receive one week early release on all episodes, Ravens and Fox River. 
as well as exclusive access to our One Tree Hill monthly bonus episodes, our Prison Break monthly bonus episodes, access to the Mighty 90s movie and TV podcast episodes, and a patron shout-out on the podcast. The second tier, Varsity. Look, I've got an opening in my lineup. Varsity. Chance of a lifetime. What do you say? Or Gen Pop. Pop it off up in G-Pop! All of the perks from Junior Varsity and The Yard, and join us live on a bonus episode, Ravens or Fox River, to have your say and ask questions as well as access to monthly Q&A video sessions. And the final tier, Hall of Fame, or The Hole. When you call a piece of white trash who couldn't pass the cops exam and now makes less than a mailman, a CO. If there's anyone out there that loves our work this much, then we want to speak with you. So you get all of the previous perks and we will invite you on to co-host an episode of the podcast with us. We appreciate any level of support from you listening right now to any of our Patreon tiers. We love doing this and we appreciate you all. You can find the Patreon link in the description or at ravenshoops.net. Let's go, let's go. Ravens on three. One, two, three, three. So I think we've we've got to the end of the episode now, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, it comes down to the all important ratings of the episode. So, shall we start with our favourite performers? Please, Simon. Who's your favourite performer? Oh, I am going to give it to. It's hard not to give it to Wentworth Miller every single time, isn't it? I can't. Uh, my, pragmatically that is who the answer is that is who it should be but i'm gonna give it to someone else just because i uh, i'm giving it to him all the time i i have someone different i have someone that i was giving it to um that wasn't wentworth miller okay fine so i okay i'll say wentworth miller then because i believe it to be true um in my opinion <laughs> Because uh, again, he just plays all the emotions. He is what's drawing you in. We said this, I think, in the pilot episode that if he was cast wrong, if if we didn't, if we had someone else in that role, it could be very different. We might not be as uh, invested in the character. He is perfect. Uh, I think he plays this all so well. So I'm going to say him. Honorable mention to Robert Nepper for Teabag, just for that scene of I want to do it slow. <laughs> yeah. who who was your favorite performer dom uh i've actually gone with peter stormare mm. i think he did a fantastic job and the the thing you're saying about wentworth miller and that we've, we've said on the last two episodes about all the emotions and how calculated he is and the feelings he he brings through i was getting that from peter stormare on this episode you know when his kids arrived although his expression doesn't change a massive amount it changes enough for you to know that he's now worried about his children. And when they say, oh, did, did you know, Philly tell you what's going to happen? He's like, no, he's not told us. And like, oh, we're going to stay at the lake. And it's just immediate, right, I need to I need to pull my finger out and get this information because I need to protect my children. And it becomes more a story about protecting his kids than caring about, you know, the information he's got to get. He's mm. got to save his family. And uh, just the, the different levels that he played. He played, you know... Uh, kind of in control so well he's in control of the COs in control of the other inmates that the the factor and the the feeling of power that he had over people like Teabag who is just a, an absolute loose cannon in my eyes <laughs> he's just a complete lunatic um uh, but he still holds that status and that that power 
and then can come away from it and have a conversation and the the delivery of his lines he's he's a really cool character um, and i thought he did an exceptional job in this episode yeah good choice yeah i really like him as well character and actor let let me ask you so you can go first who is your favorite character uh, i think on the back of my previous analysis there i have to go with abruzzi i, th- I thought he's, he stood out to me in this whole episode it's actually very close between him and lincoln I thought Lincoln did a like was was really good character in this, and and Dominic Purcell did a really good job. Uh, Peter Stormare and Abruzzi just outweighed it just that little bit more. So I was really close to giving it to to Link the Sink on this one, but maybe maybe next time, maybe mm. on our next episode. Mm-hmm. What about you, favorite character? Are you going with uh, Michael? I no, I'm going to go with Sucre on this one. Nice. I liked the uh, the moment. I liked it when he was like talking to his friends and doing like the pretend dialing on the phone and everything. Like I like him. I think he's a really likable. But I liked, uh, you know, he's in love. Like he's he's the guy that's actually that's what's killing him being in prison is that he's like he's in love and he wants to just be with with his fiance and uh, yeah. His precious conjugals have gone. The boneyard has been... His pass to the boneyard has been revoked. And, you know, that's hard. Good. I like it. He's a good character to pick as well. I like, I like that we've we've picked different people as well. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than uh, we're, we're all picking Schofield and we're all picking Wentworth. So, nice. Good choices. Well done. Did you have a favourite background performer? Yes. I think this might Ooh. be a first... It's someone that has a line. We hear the line, but I don't think we see them. Oh, I've I've got someone who's the same. I think it might be the same same line. I think they only have like one or two words, and then we don't see them again. Oh, okay. I think it's different then. Okay, you you go for it. Tell me, tell me who yours was. Well, mine was when they're on PI and they're doing the painting. You can hear a, a guard saying to them, but you don't see the guard. You hear him saying. Okay, guys, just up and down. This isn't the 16th chapel. (laughs) I thought that was really good. I liked that. So it's him, whoever he is. Nice. The the invisible guard. Yeah. Who's yours? Mine is um, when Sucre is seen on the phone, at the phone box uh, in the yard. Before we see Sucre, there's another prisoner on the phone. And he says something. I can't remember what he says now, which is really annoying me. He's just a massive bald guy. And we just see him and he says something that's, that was relatively amusing and then it moves on and then that's it. And that was the only time we see him in the episode. I, I, know, who, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> so I thought he did a, he did a good job of, of being on that telephone. So well done him. Nice. Did you have a favourite line from the episode? Yes, there's a couple. Honourable mention to... Um, we could just cut off his whole foot. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like tea bags. I want to do it slow. <laughs> just because it's so menacing. So horrible. But I loved it <laughs> at the same time. What, what was yours? Uh, I wrote down three. Oh, wow. Uh, one of them was um, Sucre's soap. I lost conjugals over soap. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, which I thought was, was very funny. Um, Teabag's line, maybe we ought to get the love out of the way before we move on to the hate. Mm-hmm. That was um, that got written down as well because I thought, although it's not like a ha-ha funny line, it's incredibly creepy and stands out. Yeah. Um, the sick puppy 
line was quite amusing. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I'm going to give it to Haywire and his line of, uh, I got a neuroanatomic uh, lesion affecting my reticular activating system. <laughs> just just like what a line to throw out what, great what does that <laughs> what does that mean it means i don't sleep at all the way you said it the first time was like you know in jurassic park grant's like me he's a digger <laughs> he's a digger <laughs> love that cool okay happy happy with your line yeah excellent now the all-important rating <laughs> What our listeners are here to hear. Uh, they want to know what we are going to rate the episode. So um, we're going to do this on a countdown. We'll do it after after three and we'll, we'll shout out our rating uh, between one and ten. And what we tend to do is if our rating doesn't match is we kind of fight the case. So was your rating, was it a number that you had in your in mind after watching the episode? Yes. And did it change at any point? Through the episode? No. And did it change at any point for our conversation? No. And and you? Uh, mine's the same. I, I have a number and it hasn't changed. But I think we've got different numbers this week. I don't think we do. Oh, okay. I think we've got the same number. But who knows? And who knows? <laughs> I've been wrong before and many, many times, so... <laughs> Okay, are you ready? So our number on three. Yep. One. Oh. <laughs> One, two, three. Nine. Eight. Oh. What are you doing? What did you watch? <laughs> what is your problem? What are you thinking? No. How about no? No. No. This is not an eight. It's a nine. What? What? No. How about that? That's my argument. <laughs> Would you allow me to explain the eight? I'll allow it. Episode one was a ten, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Episode two was a nine. Yeah. I'm just working my way down. No, not really. That's not true. So there's so much that has has happened and has built up over the last two episodes. Um, Probably one of the best pilots on TV, which was definitely a ten. Then a really great second episode. Now, this episode was a great episode, hence, you know, why it scored highly. But there was a lot of things being cleared up and signed off. And it was all leading us up to a better episode. That's kind of how I feel. I feel like episode four is going to be a bigger number. And I think everything is leading that way. Because it was the resolution of things in this episode. It was, okay, his toes were definitely cut off and we had to fix them. <laughs> and, and, you know, Veronica didn't really get anywhere. Um uh what's the lady's name letitia letitia was killed so we know that she you know she's not a problem anymore uh it was all kind of clearing up some some things you know abruzzi has now made it very clear to michael that you know they can come to an amicable way of getting to the answer michael has now said to him you know this this is what i need and this is when i need it but you're not going to get any information before that and there's all these things that feel like they're kind of being like signed off but built up to the next episode being bigger so now we've got crazy haywire in in there that's that that's like edging it up you know as a very high number eight for me um but it's not quite a nine so that's why i gave it an eight okay i think the next episode is gonna be like mega 
It's where it all kicks off. Okay. I will meet you in eight if you answer me this question honestly. If Veronica was in this episode less, would it have been bumped up to a nine? <laughs> um, I'll say yes. <laughs> then I'll agree with you. There was too much Veronica in this episode. I'll come down yeah. to an eight. I'll, I'll <laughs> happy to call it an eight with you. Well, there we go. Thank you very much. This is this is how we do these things. You know, we we <laughs> this is diplomacy. This is this is what it's all about. This is the the de- democratic side of the yard. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But remember, it's it's our yard. So <laughs> exactly, these are our bleachers. <laughs> so uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Simon, thank you very much for your time. As always, it's always a pleasure to talk with you um, about all these wonderful things that we're watching. So thank you so much for your time. If people want to get in touch with us, Simon, where can they go? They can find us on Instagram at Fox River Podcast. Follow, rate, review, subscribe, all of that good stuff on all of your podcast platforms. Thank you, Dom, for everything. I love talking to you about anything, as you know. And uh, I'm really enjoying our prison break journey. And please check out our Patreon, ravenshoops.net. Check out all of our bonus uh, content on there. We're building a really great, fun community over there. Uh, and this, yeah, it's good time. So uh, check it out and get involved. I want to make more of the virtual yard. There's so many people that, that can, can join uh, and send us in your your prison names and we'll put you in the virtual yard uh, um I'll, I'll try and create some sort of word jumble or something like that once we've got more than four or five names <laughs> and uh, i'll put that out on instagram you know and, and get all those those cool prison names out there for everyone to see so thank you so much for listening enjoy the episode like simon said rate review subscribe um we appreciate it so much. We appreciate you so much for listening. It means a lot. Uh, and if you if you give us a rating, it means other Prison Break fans can listen to us too. Thank you so much. Take care. Stay safe and goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.